Thanks for listening to this week's sermon from Epicos Church in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. For more information about Epicos, please visit epicos.org. Well, good morning, Epicos. How are you doing today? Good, good to hear it, good to hear it. My name is Jacob Machowski. I am the discipleship pastor here at Epicos Church, and I'm just really excited to be diving in and continuing this I Am series with you here today. Um, as many of you know, I share quite often that I, I grew up in a small town in northern Wisconsin, and I've been living here in, uh, in Milwaukee for right around five years or so, but we, we frequently go back up north to visit friends and family, and I have to be honest with you, when I go up north, sometimes, I like realize how scared of the dark I am <laughs> because I've only, been, I've only been living in the city for a short while, but I've gotten so used to the general ambient light of the street lights and the glow of the city. I can go outside at night and pretty much see what, what I need to see. Um, but when I go up north, especially when there's no moon out, man, it is scary. And the darkness seems almost so consuming. Um, but, but, but my, like, one time I went out to get something from my car, and my, my parents, they have, uh, they used to have this uh, dog that we inherited from my grandpa. Um, it was this black German Shepherd mix. Her name was Queen. And I went and got something from my car, and then when Queen emerged from the woods, I thought I was going to die. I thought I was going to get attacked by a wolf or something, because it just startled me so much, and it came out of nowhere. Um, even when I drive up north, I sometimes, um, I'm sometimes like, I, I just don't feel like I can see everything. I don't have the street lights guiding me, and I'm feeling on edge and anxious. Um, my, my mom watches my sermons, and she just, uh, she just texted me. She watched the 9 a.m., and it's like, remember when you were a kid, and you used to go downstairs, and you were so scared? I told you just sing Jesus loves me the whole time you're down there, <laughs> I had to go get something, so I'm like yelling at the top of my lungs, Jesus loves me, because I was, I was really scared of, a, scared of the darkness when I was a kid, too. Um, that's a bonus one, just for you, <laughs> you have your that. Um, yeah, but, but why, why am I saying these things? Why am I talking about light and darkness? Um, well, I just wanna emphasize how important light is in our lives. We take for granted how important light is. Um, light can make us feel safe. Um, light can put our mind at ease. It even pushes back fear and anxiety at times and gives us confidence that we know what's out there. Um, as we continue with our I Am series, we're going to be looking at when Jesus declares, I am the light of the world. You can open in, if you have a Bible, you can open it to, to John. We're going to be starting in chapter 1 and then going into chapters 8 and 9. But you can put, put, put a finger there and open it to John chapter 1. And in this series, we're walking through these different I Am statements of Jesus in the Gospel of John. And as we consider these statements, we're, we're letting Jesus describe who he is on his own terms and, and and, and, and as we seek to really understand and learn how we can walk like Jesus and walk with him. But in order to understand what it means for Jesus to be the light of the world, I'm going to bring us back even further than the first chapter of John's gospel, all the way back to page one in your Bibles in the biblical narrative. You don't have to turn there. I'll put the verses on the screen for you. But right away in the beginning of the Bible, it says in Genesis 1-1, in the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was fo without form, and it was void, and what was that? Darkness. Darkness is over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. But God said, let there be light, and there was light, and God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. We see what happens here on page one is that God creates everything, and how does he create it? 
How, what does he use to create everything? His very words. He just speaks things into existence and he uses his words to create. And God, what does he make first? It says that, it says that darkness is right there over the face of the deep, over the face of the waters, and God speaks and he brings light. And that light is good. And from here comes all of the life of creation. It's such a beautiful, beautiful picture, isn't it? Now with this in mind, let's turn to John's gospel and see how John opens up his story all about Jesus. And as I read this passage, I want you to pay attention to the pronouns that John uses. He and him and who or what are they referring to. So let's start John chapter one, verse one. In the beginning was the word. Now the word was with God and the word was God and he was in the beginning with God. Well, that's very interesting, isn't it? The who, who was with God in the beginning? This, this word, the word is actually a hymn, according to John. It's interesting, verse three. And all things were made through him, through the word, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Do you see what the word does in the beginning in John? In him, in the word, is life and light of all mankind. In the word was life and light. Just like, just like at the very first thing in creation, in Genesis 1. In those words that God speaks into existence are light and life. In his biography all about Jesus, the Gospel of John, John uses this specific image. This is John's Christmas story, if you will. This is how Jesus comes to the world on Christmas. He is light in the darkness. And if your very first point today, if you're a note, talker, note, note taker, you can, note talker, that's funny. You can, you can jot this down if you're a note taker. Jesus is the light of life. Jesus is the light of life. And the image we see here is like, you can just think of like, a, like turning on a light. Whenever you enter into a dark room, what do you, what's the first thing you do? Turn on a light. If you're a monster that made your house, the light bulb light switches over here, but no. You go, reach to the right, you turn on the light bulb, and what happens? That dark room, it, it fills with light. And I'm not worried once I turn that light bulb on that darkness is going to all of a sudden rear up in its strength and push the light back into the bulb. No. I have confidence that light is stronger than darkness, and it's going to light up that room. Now, the only way to get darkness back into that room is if I remove the light or if I turn off that light switch. But in, in, in the beginning of John's gospel, John says the light overcomes and overpowers the darkness. Now think back to Genesis, a dark chaos. Yahweh God speaks light and life into, into it by creation. How does John see the incarnation of Jesus? This event of Jesus is just as important as creation. And, and our world is in darkness. It's full of unbelief and death. And God again is speaking his word into that darkness. And that word is personified into a person to bring light and life. And that person is his son, Jesus. It's a, it's a recreation account here in John's gospel. Now, if we flip ahead in your Bible, go to John chapter 8, verse 12. Keep this idea in mind as we saw in John 1, but at the in the beginning of the gospel. But here in chapter 8, verse 12, we see the first instance of our I am statement. John 8, 12. And again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light 
of life. Now you might be thinking, great, Jesus' light means that he brings life. But, but so what? Like if you are here today, if you got here today, you are alive. You are living. But what, what does the life of Jesus truly mean for us? Well, that brings us to our second point today. And if you're a note taker, you can jot this down. Jesus is the light of belief. Jesus is the light of belief. We're only eight minutes in and you already have all the points of my sermon. <laughs> That's pretty great. I promise you, the sermon's not gonna be that short though, okay? Um, but in order to receive the life of Jesus' light, you need to believe in him. That's what we're gonna see today. Now, now that, that statement that we just read, John 8, 12, it kicks off this huge conflict in the rest of the chapter. Uh, and this event happens during the, the Jewish Feast of Tabernacles. Um, some call it the Feast of Booths or the Feast of, basically, Tabernacle is a translate, like, that's Hebrew for the word tent. Um, and so the Feast of of tabernacles is a 40-day camping trip. Um, the Jew Jewish people decide that they will camp out for 40 days um, and live in tents for 40 days to celebrate and commemorate the 40 years they wandered in the wilderness um, that we see in the book of Numbers. It was this yearly rhythm of the Jewish people to remind themselves about how God was faithful and provided for them during this wilderness wandering. And, and during this, this festival that Jesus proclaims this to be the light of the world. Um, some scholars speculate that he could have said this phrase and said these words during a special night during the Feast of Tabernacles. Um, there was a special event that occurred called the Festival of Lights. Um, and so whenever the, 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 the priestly garments would wear out in the temple, um, and they couldn't just throw them away because they're holy garments. What they would do is they would take and use the garments as wicks for candles and then light candles during the Festival of Lights all throughout Jerusalem that one night was just glowing in candlelight. Um, and it was a beautiful, beautiful picture of a symbol of how God guided the people in the wilderness through a pillar of fire. And so I, I want to take my mind there and just say, could you imagine Jesus during the festival of lights, during this event, the city glowing in candlelight and him saying and proclaiming, I am the light of the world. Look to me, follow me, and I will guide you through this deadly wilderness and into life. Uh, the, the events that follow after this statement revolve around the Pharisees, the Jewish religious leaders of the day. And these leaders refuse to believe Jesus, and they, they actually try to discredit him. Um, they lay down all sorts of accusations against Jesus, um, claim that he's a false witness, and even say that he is demon-possessed. And these are the events that we talked about when we began this I Am series on New Year's Eve. I want to encourage you, if you want to, you can go back and listen to that sermon if you haven't heard it yet. Um, but, but the conflict there ended with Jesus calling the Pharisees a uh, family of Satan, Jesus declaring himself to be Yahweh, the holy divine name no one was ever supposed to utter or speak, and the leaders picking up stones to kill him. It escalated very, very quickly, <laughs> if you look at that narrative. And all of that stemmed from the Pharisees refusing to believe Jesus at his word and trusting in him. But the story doesn't end there. I believe John wants us to read on further in this narrative, which brings us to chapter 9 in our Bibles. Here we have a very popular story of how Jesus heals a man born blind. And I want us to walk through this story today to connect our two points of life and belief. And this narrative is an illustration of how Jesus is the light that restores life through belief. So let's dive in. John chapter 9, 
starting in verse one. So as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth, and then Jesus asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming, then no one can work as long as I am in the world. Say it with me. I am the light of the world. There's our phrase again. There's our I am statement. I am the light of the world. And we see this opening here is just setting the stage for the narrative that follows. There's a man who has been born blind. He's blind from birth. Um, living in a state of perpetual darkness, if you will. Um, someone who would have been looked over unnoticed. Um, it said later in the narrative that he was just a beggar on the street. Um, he can't see anything, but Jesus sees him. You see that in the story? Isn't that amazing? And the big question in the minds of the disciples is, why was he blind? Why was he born this way and born blind? And the disciples believe that it must be because of punishment of sin. But Jesus thinks it's for a different reason. Did you see that? He thinks that this man has been blind from birth so that at this moment, Jesus can demonstrate the power of God. Let's just pause and think about that for a second. The immediate reaction of the disciples is to find reasons and to cast blame in this situation. They, they, they even cast judgment on his parents, saying either him or his parents must have sinned for him to be born blind. There's gotta be a reason for this darkness. There's gotta be a reason for this to happen. How often do we do that, right? When we encounter a difficult situation, when we encounter darkness, we're, we're very quick sometimes to cast blame or judgment on other parties. How do we really embrace the posture of Jesus here? He, he, he doesn't look to cast blame. He doesn't look to judgment. But what does he do? He sees the darkness in this man as an opportunity to show light, to show the goodness of God. Every time we encounter darkness in our world, it's an opportunity to show the light. How can we do this? How can we show the light? I mean, uh, one easy way that we as a church have provided is like we have community partners at all of our campuses. Here at, um, at West Dallas, we, we partner with City Light for so many events. Look at that name, City Light, to be a light in the community, right? I um, mean, you can partner with them and, and volunteer at various events throughout the year to, to be a light in the community. Sometimes it's just, it's acts of love and service in our community. Even partnering with other things like the Milwaukee Rescue Mission, our Mayfair Road Food Pantry, uh, Safe and Sound that we have through Sherman Park Campus. Um, and that's what Jesus is about to do. Jesus is about to enter into this moment to show the light. Look at verse six. Having said these things, uh, Jesus spit on the ground and he made mud with saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and he said to him, go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. I bet you you didn't have to tell that guy twice to <laughs> wash the mud off of his face. So he went and he washed and he came back seeing. That is miraculous. That is impossible. Jesus uses spit mud to restore a man's sight. Even in today, that would be an impossible thing to do. Why does he do these things though? Why does he choose this way to restore the man's sight? And I think, I think Jesus is entering and he's stepping into the role of creator. 
He uses spit, right? That which, which comes from your mouth. Very similar to how we saw in Genesis 1, how God uses his words that come from his mouth to, to create and to bring life. But then he also shapes dirt. Can you think of another part of your Bible where God shapes dirt to make something? In, in Genesis 2, 7, that's how he creates humanity. He, he shapes and molds them out of the dust of the ground, it says. And, and, and Jesus gets his hands dirty in the dirt of creation and uses his saliva to form mud and wipes it on this man's eyes to restore his sight. He uses these methods to bring light to darkened eyes. And Jesus brings the light of life. This is a miracle and people start to notice. Look at verse 8. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, wait, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? And some said, it is he. Others said, nah, but he looks like him. And he kept saying, I am the man. So he must be doing these things in front of him. That's so funny. So, so they said to him, then who, how were your eyes opened? And the man answered, the, well, the man called Jesus, he made mud and he anointed my eyes and he said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and I received my sight. And they said to him, where is he? And he said, oh, I don't know where he is. The people are amazed, aren't they? They're amazed at this miracle. How in the world can this blind man see, see now? I mean, they must be talking about the guy right in front of them, like he, like he was deaf or something. He wasn't, he wasn't deaf, he was just blind, right? But he said, like, is this that beggar that we walked by? No, he kind of looks like him, though. Hey, I'm the guy. I'm the man. That's another I am statement for you and John, right? I am the man. But where is Jesus during all this? Where is he? Nowhere to be found. Nowhere to be found. Nobody in the story has seen Jesus. Even the blind man <laughs> that got his sight healed. He didn't see him. But he knows him, doesn't he? The neighbors aren't the only ones who notice, but the religious leaders as well. Look at verse 13. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and he opened his eyes Okay, pause here. That's a, that's a problem because according to Jewish law, you weren't allowed to do any work on the Sabbath and Jesus enters into healing here. Verse 15. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And the man said to them, well, he put mud on my eyes and I washed and I see. Now some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such things? And there was a division among them. So, so they said again to the blind man, what do you say about it? What do you think? Since he has opened your eyes, and he said, he is a prophet. So they interrogate this blind man, don't they? They bombard him with questions, and the religious leaders, they're, they don't seem convinced by the end of it, do they? No. I may be inferring here, but I don't think the religious leaders are just rejecting this uh, occurred because it's a miracle. I, I think they're, they're rejecting this miraculous sign because the leaders really don't like Jesus. They really don't like what he's teaching, what he's saying, and they don't like who he is. And they try to discredit this miracle by saying it occurred on the Sabbath. So they interrogate their only eyewitness, who is a blind man. <laughs> very good, very good. Uh, the Pharisees are asking this guy theological questions. Did you notice that? He says, how can a sinner do such signs? What do you think, right? Like all of a sudden, this man that receives his sight is all of, all of a sudden a grand theologian. This man just has to level with him, right? I can't deny I was blind and now I see. This guy has to be a prophet, someone from God. 
And the Pharisees aren't satisfied with this, so they actually go straight to the source and they interrogate the blind man's parents. Um, Was this guy really blind all along? Regardless, um, it seems if you were to read this in verses 18 through 23, the the parents just want to get out of this situation. Talk about throwing your son under the bus, right? Um, but, but in reality, I, I don't think they really want to get in trouble. They don't want to get in trouble with the religious leaders. They'd be cast out of the synagogue, cast out of their community, and they don't want that. So they say, all right, I have to level you. This is our son, and I can attest he was born blind. As for the rest of it, we don't have a clue. Have you actually asked him about it? You know that he's an adult and he can represent himself. Why don't you ask him? I'm sure he can tell you everything. Well, the the Pharisees, they tried that, right? And it really didn't go go their way. They They didn't get the answer they wanted. Well, might as well try again. Verse 24. So for the second time, the Pharisees called the man who had been blind and they said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man, Jesus, he is a sinner. What a masterclass in missing the point, right? <laughs> Verse 25. And he answered, whether he's a sinner, I do not know. I thought you guys were the theologians, right? <laughs> One thing I do know. Though I was blind, now I see. And guess what? I have to stand looking at you guys again with my newfound sight. So wonderful. Verse 26. So they said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open up your eyes? Okay, time out here. If you've been keeping count, this is the third time he's been asked to say the story of how he received his sight. And guess what? He is totally fed up with it. (laughs) Listen to what he says. Look at verse 27. And he answered them, I have told you already and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? (laughs) Oh, that's pretty cheeky, isn't it? Oh my goodness. They won't like that. Verse 28. And so they reviled him. You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. And so the man answered, why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the whole world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. And so they answered him, you were born in utter sin and you would teach us. And they cast him out. (laughs) Who's really blind here, right? The second time didn't go better for the Pharisees, did it? And the Pharisees are further entrenched, deeper and deeper in their unbelief. It's almost comical, really. It's almost comical how this investigation of theirs revealed such a plain truth. A man's sight was restored, and no one can explain it. And they refuse to believe it. Because of his belief, this newly transformed believer has more faith than the lifelong followers of the Torah and followers of God. And the blind man eventually does get to see Jesus face to face. Look at verse 35. Now Jesus heard that they had cast him out of the synagogue. And having found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? Now this phrase is a Hebrew phrase pointing to the the Messiah, the Savior. Verse 36. And the man answered, who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, you have seen him? And it is he who is speaking to you. Ooh, that's a very interesting phrase, isn't it? You have seen him. What in the world does that mean? The blind man had actually not seen Jesus up to this point, had he? No. 
The mud was put on his eyes. He went to the pool and washed, and Jesus was nowhere to be found. This is the very first time he's laying eyes, but yet Jesus said, you have seen me. But we're not talking about physical sight anymore. I hope that's clear. We're not talking about physical sight here. This blind man saw who Jesus was when he told all of his neighbors what had happened to him, right? This blind man saw Jesus when he bore witness before the religious elite. This blind man saw Jesus when he told the religious leaders this man was from God and they had to cast him out of their synagogue. He risked everything in that moment. He risked his community. He risked his social network. He risked his safety net in society by saying this man is from God. And up to this point, what had the blind man been calling Jesus? He called him what? A prophet. A prophet. But when Jesus says these words, you've already seen the Son of Man. He is the one who is speaking to you right now. What is the, how does the man respond? Verse 38. The man says, Lord, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him right there. Jesus said, for judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see and those who see may become blind. Now some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and they said to him, um, are, are we also blind? <laughs> it's a terrible question, terrible question to ask somebody. Uh, but Jesus says to them, and this is a very interesting phrase, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. That's a very deep final phrase of Jesus and we're gonna, we're gonna be dissecting that a little bit here. If you were blind, you would have no guilt, but now that you say we see, your guilt remains. But as we continue and as we look further at this phrase a little later on, I want us to continue to think about that phrase and ask this question. I want you to ask yourselves, where am I walking? Where are you walking? Before looking at the Pharisees, let's consider this man who is the focal point of our narrative the man formerly known as the blind man. He is the very definition of a person who has been transformed, genuinely transformed by the light of Jesus. And he was once walking in darkness. Is that you today? In reality, all the characters, the Pharisees and the blind man, they were not too different at the beginning of this narrative. They were all blind. It was, the, it was like the blind leading the blind. In our story today, all these characters, they represent the fallen human condition, the fallen humanity doing their best to overcome their problems. We're all in this world, the blind leading the blind. The Pharisees, they were so blind that when they saw the light, they didn't even know what their problem was and they didn't accept the light. And, and that is the truth that faced each and every one of us. But the blind man, on the other hand, he realizes his need for salvation. He realizes the power in who Jesus is and he embraces him fully in belief. Now you might be here today, uh, just stumbling through life, living in perpetual darkness, living in unbelief, and you've been able to see today, just looking at the story of Jesus, your need for a savior, your need for rescue, your need for Jesus. God may be opening up your eyes here this morning, and the good news is that Jesus, Jesus takes that deepest problem of ours, how sin has separated us from a good, holy God. Our, our choices to define right and wrong on our own terms apart from God, that's the problem that separates us from our creator. And we need to be rescued. And the good news is that Jesus came to earth as the light of this world, the light of the world to die for our sin and to grant us new life. For I once was blind, but now I see.
Jesus is the light of the world that can restore life to our weary souls. Believe on him today. Trust in Jesus today. Follow him and surrender to him with your life. If you want to make that decision today, do not leave this place without telling somebody about it. Tell somebody about it. Whether you find Pastor Tommy or Pastor Mark or somebody after service today, find me afterwards. We'd love to to meet with you and talk to you what it means to follow Jesus. If you don't have time to even run and find somebody, grab that Orange Connect card on the back On the bottom of it, there's a place that you can mark that says, I commit my life to Jesus. If you fill that out, I will email you this week with the contact information of your campus pastor so you can set up a time to talk with them about what it means to follow Jesus today and to walk in the light. And that brings us to the second way you can answer that question, walking in the darkness or are you maybe here walking in the light? See, walking in the light starts with belief, right? Belief grants us the life that only Jesus can bring. Through faith alone, we are saved. And now those of us who receive the light of Jesus, what are we called to do with that light? We're called to shine it. We're called to shine that light and share it with the rest of the world around us. Look at the boldness of this man that was blind, right? how he shared his faith to everyone he came in contact with, how he shared it with his neighbors, he shared it with the religious elite. He didn't cower away in fear in that moment. In what ways can you live out your faith? Can you share the gospel with the sphere of life that God has given you? I already mentioned the the idea of being lights in our communities through our community partnerships. Um, But you can also be a light in your neighborhood and with your neighbors by just loving your neighbor doing Jesus kind of stuff in your neighborhood. It's a great way to shine the light. You know, the, you know that, that big pile of snow that gets left at the end of your driveway that nobody wants to shovel? That really thick, slushy stuff? What if you helped your neighbor do that? Wow. You, you do that to a Wisconsinite and they think that you've just given them a million dollars. They cannot believe that you out of the goodness of your heart would want to clean that snow up because no one wants to. You can do simple acts of kindness to your neighbors and to your friends and in your neighborhood to bring the light of Jesus and give you opportunities to share that faith. They, they, they're going to ask you, why did you do that? <laughs> you know, and you can say why. But I also want to address that final line of Jesus. Get back to that. Because I think it really reveals an issue that even I have to keep myself in check with as a follower of Jesus. One of the biggest ways that we can step out of the light can be through our arrogance. As we saw in, in the study we did in Exodus earlier last year, that Israel received salvation. This, this, this enslaved people in the land of Egypt who did not deserve any sort of rescue or redemption, God looks at them with kindness and mercy and he rescues them. The Pharisees we see in our story are descendants of that people. And we see just how far they've come from not resting in the grace of God that rescued them and becoming prideful and becoming arrogant. And Jesus said those words to him. If you were blind, you would have no guilt. If the Pharisees, like the man born blind, had been prepared to acknowledge their ignorance, guess what? They would not have been called guilty in the end. They would have also received salvation. But it was their arrogance and that blinded them to the truth. And that's why Jesus continues and he says, but now that you say we see, your guilt remains they were unwilling to learn. 
They claimed to have sight, and it kept them from seeing the plain truth before them that Jesus is the light of the world. Belief is so much more than our head knowledge of Jesus. But it's choosing to walk in faith and to walk in faith humbly. Not arrogantly, not pridefully, not in boasting, but to humbly follow Jesus. It's continually reminding ourselves the only reason why I'm standing here today is because of the grace and mercy and love of God sent in his son Jesus to rescue me and save me. May those of us who have received the grace of God never fall into this trap of self-righteousness, claiming religious power in elitism. Instead, we must walk the way of humble commitment to Jesus, our Savior. And where, where it starts is every time we engage in, in going to God, realizing that the gospel is so important, realizing the grace of God that's present in the gospel. Every, take time each and every day to meditate on this truth of the gospel that I am saved and rescued just because of his mercy alone, nothing that I do. And this will check ourselves. Don't ever feel like you're earning your salvation. If you, if you do like spiritual practices to, to, to follow Jesus, like, like, you know, God doesn't love you any more or less if you pray that day. Did you know that? Like, he, he loves you the same because of the faith you have in him. You're not going to receive a special blessing because you did your Bible reading that day, you know? It's not gonna have like a better day for you because you read your Bible. No, it's, it's God just loves you for who you are because he's rescued you and you believe in his son, Jesus. The practices we do, they're so good. They're so good. They form us into the image of Christ. And sometimes they even help us feel connected to our God, feel connected to our creator when I'm engaging in the practices. But our salvation is not dependent on our practices. Our salvation comes by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. The Christian life is a path of learning. It's a path of growing. And God's spirit makes us more and more like Jesus as we continue to pursue him day in and day out. As we close here today, I just want to invite you Continue with us in this journey of the I am statements. As we look at who Jesus is, he will become, we will start to become like him as we continue to meditate on him in these statements. As we humbly discover each and every day what it means to follow Jesus. Let us pray. Lord, I thank you so much for this story. Thank you so much for this narrative. Thank you so much that your son Jesus came to this earth and healed this blind man 2,000 years ago so that we can just marvel at him being the light of this world. Father, I pray for anyone here today that has not placed their faith in Jesus. Would your spirit give them the courage to take that step today, to the surrender all to you and to tell us about it so that we can walk with them as they walk with Jesus. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters here today. You would give each and every one of us opportunities each and every day to share your glorious, beautiful, wonderful light to this dark world around us. Lord, I also pray that you would protect us, Lord, from, 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 from the danger of self-righteousness, that you would give us eyes to see these blind spots in our life. Give us even people in our life to, to show us where I might be blind to these things and to have us return to humble surrender to you, realizing that we receive your love just because of your grace, and that's such a great thing. Lord, I pray that you would guide us, Lord, and continue and be with us throughout the rest of this week. 
pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.